Our scripture this morning comes from Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, and chapter 3, verses 8 through 14. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead— I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is God's word. Amen. Well, thank you, Susan, and good morning. Happy New Year. I don't know if we said that already this morning, but that's always good. My name is Jeff Skipper, uh, one of the pastors here, specifically the church planting apprentice uh, at Redeemer. And... um, Somewhat of a bittersweet morning for me as our Redeemer Southwest group draws near to our last Sunday here at Redeemer City on January 17th. I can't, I can't believe that. Um, if, if you are new, to clarify a little more on um, what I'm talking about, if, if you're unfamiliar with this, I'm part of a group that's leaving this congregation to go start uh, another congregation of our church in the southwest part of our city. And so next Sunday, we plan to hold our final preview service at the Howard Johnson. Uh, We're meeting at the Howard Johnson. You can't miss it. Bright orange roof. They just repainted it. Um, Very bright. Um, And that's where we'll be meeting at in Southwest. Um, We had our first preview service on December 6th, a few weeks ago, if you didn't know that. It was great. It was so encouraging. Uh, We had a great time. So we're going to do that again next Sunday. Uh, The following Sunday, like Jonathan said, we'll be here on the 17th as you commission us. That's really pray over us, send us out possibly a a, a fun morning and an emotional morning as we go. Um, And then by God's grace, we'll launch Sunday morning worship services publicly on January 24th. So three weeks from today, very surreal to say that. Maybe it'll sink in and we're a couple months in, Um, but we're excited. And as hard as it'll be to say goodbye, in some ways, it's also exciting. I mean, this church has been dreaming of this moment for years. Uh, even if you've just recently joined, I mean, before Redeemer ever even launched their public worship, worship services in 2008, it was praying about planting a church. That's pretty bold in faith. Before they ever planted, they were dreaming about planting um, a church. And so this has been your prayer and desire to see God's invisible kingdom made visible in our city, primarily through the work of planting gospel-centered churches throughout our city. 
which we believe is the most proven and effective way to share the gospel, to reach new people with the message of the gospel. Uh, And so we're excited, and as scary as it it may be in some ways as we leave what we know, to go off into kind of the unknown, right? We're leaving home. Um, It's a great comfort to us in Redeemer Southwest to still be connected to this body, as we'll still be one church, as Redeemer, Winter Haven. Um, And and none of this would be possible without your tender care of, of myself, and my family, and our group, and your patience, and your support, and so I'm just, I just want to say thank you. Um, we're so encouraged, and we're leaving uh, very provided for. And in light of that, two weeks ago, Drew asked me to preach this morning. Uh, he thought it'd be good to have one more opportunity to speak, and he said, you know, I could speak on whatever was on my heart, um, and with, within minutes of hanging up, I started thinking about this church, and I kid you not, those words of the Apostle Paul to the Philippians just came in my head. I thank God for you. I, I carry you in my heart. Uh, all I could hear was that, and I was like, well, I, I got to preach on that. It was on the tip of my heart and my, my mind as I thought about Redeemer. You are, you are dear to me, and, and Paul really does sum up those my feelings towards you. Uh, a deep affection uh, based on our common experience of God's grace together, uh, our mutual love for Jesus, our, our mutual zeal to see his kingdom come in our city, uh, and for your support uh, to myself and, and to our group. And so this morning, I thought it was fitting if we looked at a church that supported a church planter. I thought that would make sense, uh, because that's what's happening here. And that's what was going on with the Apostle Paul. As we'll look here in a minute at the church at Philippi. Now, this church had its problems, but it was a beautiful church. And I want us to consider why. Uh, what, what made this church special to Paul? And specifically, how did their experience and their knowledge of grace and the gospel transform them to live? And what can we learn uh, as we continue on our mission? What can we learn from their pattern of life together? in order for us to stay unified, in order for us to see our vision become a reality. What's the power to do that, to live that way? And then finally, what is a danger that I believe Paul's trying to caution this established church of? How does that apply to us? How can we combat it? And and what promises of God comfort us and compel us as we move forward in our ministry together? And so you'll see some of those questions in that outline in your worship folder, if you'll look at that. Uh, You'll see three points. uh, Our partnership in the gospel Uh, partakers of grace, and press on. So what we're going to see is a pattern to follow, uh, uh, the power to live it, and then the practice of it. A pattern, the power, and the practice. First, uh, partnership in the gospel. So to get the context of this letter, now we've been going through the gospel of Luke. Uh, Joe was um, in the book of Philippians last week, and so just providentially, I am this week as well. We'll get back with Luke next week. Uh, But to get the context here, Paul is writing from prison. Uh, probably in Rome. Now, you would think he would be discouraged, but in, in typical Paul fashion, he's like overflowing with joy and affection. I want, I want to live that kind of life. Uh, he's excited. Uh, the gospel is moving forward in this church, and the gospel is, is advancing even in the prison that he's in, through the prison guard. And so he's full of joy, and we see his big-hearted love for this church. Uh, he uses the most powerful and warm language in this letter more than any of his other letters. Uh, I thank God for you. I hold you in my heart. I yearn for you with the affection of Christ. And so we have to ask, what was it about the Philippians? Now you heard me mention a second ago, it wasn't a perfect church. Paul knew that. Uh, in a, later in chapter 4, we see there's actually a threat of potential division in the church that's brewing between two individuals that needs to be addressed. But overall, based on the letters we have in the New Testament, this is probably the most healthy church we see in the New Testament the church in Philippi. Um, I think one reason they were special to Paul is because this is the first church that Paul planted in Europe. 
Okay, the first church, he had lived with them. He had had experiences with them. We read about those experiences in Acts 16. And they just had this deep love for one another and for Jesus and for his mission. And so as we really just jump right in, I want to ask specifically, what characteristics do we see? What were evident in this church? The power of God's working in this church as they look at Christ and as the Spirit's working through them, what do we see? And I just want to point out two things I think we see uh, in this first section of this letter. First, uh, they were a generous, sacrificial church. Very generous church. And secondly, they were resolutely committed to the work before them and to one another. And um, I think these are two powerful countercultural traits of a Christian and a church, therefore, because uh, church is made up of Christians, generosity and, sacri- generosity and commitment, um, and that God can do great things through a church with those two traits. And so I want to just look at each. So the first thing we notice about the Philippian church was their generosity. They're a giving church. Uh, in chapter 4, we learn that they were the first church to financially support Paul's church planting ministry. That'll make you love them, right? Uh, they, they gave to Paul. Uh, which freed Paul up to, to preach the gospel uh, and to plant churches. You see in verse 5, he said, When I think of you, I thank God and I rejoice because of your partnership in the gospel. They supported Paul. And we learn here in other places that really a principle is the gospel at work in a person and in a church results in kingdom-minded sacrificial generosity. When the gospel goes to work in people and in a church, what it results in is kingdom-minded sacrificial generosity. Uh, The Philippians understood they were not building their own little kingdom in Philippi. That was not their goal. They were part of seeing something much greater come. God's kingdom come in the world, which led them to be outward-focused and generous outside of their four walls. They knew there was much more work to be done than they could accomplish themselves. A healthy Christian, a healthy church, is kingdom-minded. It's not threatened by other ministries. There's no competitive spirit within that church. Instead, it's a generous one, which naturally leads to giving away money and giving away resources and giving away people, even, for the sake of the mission. And naturally, I thought of Redeemer. Uh, This is what Redeemer is doing in many ways throughout our city, specifically in regards to the church plant, as we've been absolutely lavishly provided for. And so as we apply that principle, you know, we wait and we watch and we follow whatever we invest in. We're on the edge of our seat. From, uh, if, you, if you invest in the stock market, you're probably checking that every day on your phone. Last week, uh, there were a lot of fantasy football championships, and everybody was on their phone like this, like play-by-play, play, how many points am I getting? Right? They probably had 50 bucks on the line or whatever. Whatever you invest in, you follow What are you invested in? Are our resources bound up in God's kingdom work? And the people, the people who have the best seat in the house, the people who have the 50-yard line view to see what God is doing, to see God do great things, are those who are generously and sacrificially invested in the work of his kingdom. It's natural because they're giving. They're the ones who are going. They're the ones who are praying and waiting and watching and rejoicing when things happen. They're on the edge of their seats because they are invested in the kingdom. If we're not invested, if we're not stretched for God's kingdom, we're going to miss out on the great things that God is doing because we're, not prob- we're probably not following what God's kingdom is up to because we're not invested in it. The Philippians were invested in God's kingdom not their own, which led them to be outward-focused and generous. They were generous. And secondly, I think we see they were in it for the long haul. Now, if you read your Bible, 
you'll see some, some big Bible words, right? Christians, what they're known for are things like this. Perseverance, endurance, patience, long-suffering. You know, we are marathon runners, not sprinters. Christians are marathon runners. So a second characteristic we see that's present in a Christian in a church is just commitment. You see, that not only does Paul say you're partners in the gospel with me, but you've been partners from the first day until now. Verse 5. From the first day until now, they were in it for the long haul. We know this because Paul calls some people out by name in this letter, and this is over 10 years later. These are the same folks he lived with and he worked with. He says, I worked with you side by side when I was there. This is over 10 years ago. The Philippians understood commitment. And they were reliable. And so naturally, right, that resulted in longevity in their relationships. And it resulted in a long-term, fruitful ministry. And this means that they understood the way of the kingdom that Drew preached on a few weeks ago. That the kingdom of God advances incrementally, incrementally but inevitably. Right? Jerry Seinfeld does a stand-up comedy bit where he talks about the dilemma of choosing long-lasting or fast-acting medication. Just that dilemma. It's miserable, right? He's like, do I want to feel good now or do I want to feel good later? Which one should I choose? Uh, A horrible decision to make on the medicine aisle because you can't have both, right? Long-lasting, fast-acting. And we live in a fast-acting, immediate results, consumeristic culture. And the church is not immune to that. But the real measure of the Spirit at work in a person's life, in a ministry, in a church, is the long-term picture. It's the five-year, the ten-year, the thirty-year view, because that's the way of the kingdom. So to commit like that, uh, for, for the sake of the kingdom, as he says, from the first day until now, means a couple things. The Philippians, they couldn't have been in a hurry. They couldn't have been in a hurry. They couldn't have been easily offended by one another to commit like that. They couldn't have been consumeristic. And they couldn't be individualistic, their own agenda. They would have never lasted if they were that way. But, so what we do know is that this group of people had the Spirit in them, and they had the Gospel between them, and they had a mission before them, and they locked arms, and they said, let's go, and they walked towards the kingdom together. They were working through their life and through their sin together. Naturally, they're probably stepping on one another's toes They're living in repentance and faith. That's the path to growth in your life. That's the path to long-term relationships and to fruitful ministry together. Uh, This is one reason why we take vows here when we join as members. Just as God is committed to us in His covenant of grace, so we commit to one another. And so I think just from the Philippians here at the beginning, what we see in this church, uh, for us, in order to see the work accomplished in our city, that we desire to see happen through church planting, through acts of mercy, and through other works, to see God's invisible kingdom be made visible, we have to continue to do three things. One is all of us have to give generosity. All of us have to give. Secondly, some of us have to go. That's sacrifice. That's church planting. And then finally, none of us can give up on the mission or one another commitment. So all of us have to give. Some of us have to go. None of us can give up. Generosity, sacrifice, commitment. Now, that sounds intimidating. Uh, That sounds hard, and it can be. Uh, Giving away resources and people, leaving to to go to something new and unknown can be really scary. And committing to one another, to messy people for the long term, knowing that you're going to be hurt along the way. Let's be honest, right? It, 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 It would be much easier and more convenient to be involved at a distance 
or to just jump around to a different group every few years. A lot easier, a lot more convenient, not as hard. So what creates churches like this? What creates churches and people like this? And what's the power that will sustain our life together, our relationships, our ministry together here? We see it in this passage. Uh, In addition to something I already mentioned, um, in addition to having a vision for something bigger than themselves, they had a vision of the kingdom of God in the world, the Philippians also had a common experience that bonded and forged them as a group of people. And we see that in the second point, partakers of grace. Uh, Last year, one of my friends from college and I ran the Savage Race. It's one of these mud races with a bunch of obstacles and monkey bars and it's, it's pretty miserable. Well, it slides, it's six and a half miles, okay? Um, and just nasty stuff. And you pay a bunch of money to do this. Just, why didn't we think of that? Lay out the most miserable track, six and a half miles. You pay like 70 bucks, you get a t-shirt. Great. I don't know what that says about me. But anyways, we went and did that together. Uh, it was tough, and we were dirty, head to toe, and exhausted. And when we crossed the finish line, if I don't remember correctly, I think we had our arms wrapped around each other, just falling across the finish line. We had experiences like that. For years, uh, all, ever since college, and, and that just knitted our hearts together over the years. Uh, and that's what deep common experiences do, right? I've, at least I've heard if you've been in war with someone, there's a bond that's forged. If you've been on a long trip with someone, a road trip or a mission trip, or if you've suffered alongside another, a deep bond is forged. And Paul says that's true of the church. There's a new people we, we read in our assurance. We're brought together And what forms and empowers and sustains our relationships, what forms us, the same thing that forms us and empowers us and will sustain us in our relationships, in our lives, in our work and ministry as a group of messy people together is the same thing, a shared experience of grace. That we have tasted grace. That's the game changer. That's the bond. That's what starts it. That's the catalyst. That's also the fuel that maintains it and empowers it. Paul writes in verse 7, he says, we're partakers of grace. He says, we've received the same thing. We've received the undeserved favor of God through what Christ has done for us in His life, in His death, in His resurrection. We come to the same table and we share it together. That's what unites us. So it makes us a people who are generous, grace does, because we deserve nothing and yet we've received everything. And now we don't give up on one another because I'm a mess as, as, as much as the next person. And I need the same pardon bought by the blood of Jesus as they do. And so that compels me to live in a way of repentance and forgiveness and to not give up. That creates and empowers the life of generosity and sacrifice and commitment. The gospel of grace forms a new kind of community seen in the church. That's the secret to what's going on here in the Philippians' life and ministry. The gospel creates a new kind of community, the church. Pastor Ray Ortland Jr., he's a pastor in Nashville, he wrote this great small book called The Gospel, How the Church Portrays the Beauty of Christ. And this is kind of a long quote, but I'm going to quote it all. Stay with me. He explains this at length. When this new community is created that we see in the Philippian church, this pattern to live this way, he says this is what the the game changer is, grace. He says the power of the gospel creates something altogether different in the world today. It creates churches that are God-exalting, Christ-admiring, spirit-filled, Bible-enjoying, grace-preaching, convenience-defying, cross 
embracing risk-taking, selfishness crucifying, gossip silencing, prayer-saturated, future-thinking, outward-reaching, and beautifully human congregation, congregations where the undeserving can thrive. He said only God can build this new kind of community, but when he does, it can't be ignored. That's the power that unites us. That's what drives us. That's what makes beautiful churches. Tasting grace. So if tasting the grace of the gospel is what makes generous, committed, gracious people, now slowly over time, right? <laughs> Not immediately. Uh, but if that's what the power, and that's what makes beautiful churches, we know it's grace. I'd like to clarify a little more what is grace, because maybe, uh, maybe you don't understand with that term just thrown around, grace. What does that even mean? And the message of Christianity is that we've messed up to the point where we can't make it up by anything we do. Right? We're on the same ground, and we need the exact same thing. No one is in with God. Everyone is out and is on a trajectory apart from Him, and therefore, apart from everything good, because He's the fountain and the source of everything that's good, everyone's on the same ground except by the unearnable favor of God in Jesus. And if you grab on to him by faith, you are his, and all that he has is yours, and he begins an eternal restoration project on you to begin to make you whole. And he starts that right now, by grace. Is grace what you understand the gospel message of Christianity to be? Is that how you've understood Christianity and your experience and what you've heard? Because most don't. recently, Recently on the show, The View, you know that show? I promise I don't watch it. I, I, I read an article. I don't DVR it or anything like that. Little I've seen, I kind of can't stand it. But anyways, uh, there's this show, The View, and uh, Candace Cameron is, was on there. I don't know if she's a regular, but she was on there this day. The Full House girl, DJ Tanner. You remember. I know you remember. Uh, she was on there, and um, she's a Christian. Uh, she's an actress. And the topic of religion came up around the theme of Christmas and being good. This came up as they're talking, and one of the panelists uh, essentially said, well, you know, uh, all religions at the end of the day are pretty much the same. They're about being a good person, so be good for goodness sake. That's what she said. That was the theme of the Christmas, right? Uh, the Christmas theme. She said, yeah, it's all, they're all about just being good, so be good for goodness sakes. And while the majority of the panel agreed and the audience started to agree, Cameron and actually another woman there said, actually, no, that's not the message of Christianity. And everyone kind of got quiet. According to, to God's standard, none of us are good. That's, that's the whole point of the gospel. We're not good enough, right? We're made right by grace through faith in Jesus, through what he's done for us, not by what we do. And you should have seen the confused, bewildered looks of the faces of these people on stage. I mean, it was like an alien just landed on set. I mean, they literally had a, a wait, what? response. They said it out loud. That was their response to an explanation of what Christianity is. The central theme, uh, heart of the gospel, is grace. Amazing that on national TV she was able to share what what Christianity is uh, and grace. And it it created this surprising, uh, confused look at what grace is. Satan is the father of lies. And he has much of the unbelieving world convinced that they have really heard the gospel and they've got the t-shirt and they want absolutely nothing to do with it. And this is a huge part of what we're facing, facing in the West. It's a fatal misconception. And we could probably more clarify that. It's, a, it's actually a deception. That Christianity is not about being good for goodness sake. That, that ship has absolutely sailed, just so you know. 
We, we, we miss that. Okay? So God steps in. It's, it's good news of weary, broken sinners who have tasted the forgiving, loving, pursuing grace of a loving Father who, will, who, who stopped at absolutely nothing to wipe away your guilt and your tears and your fears and your worries and your anxieties and fill you up with hope and joy and peace for eternity. That's what the gospel is. So can I beg you to forget what you heard growing up or, or what your mama said? I love mama, but if she didn't tell you that's what Christianity is, it's not. Okay? It's okay for your kids to think uh, that you're telling them everything you say is the gospel for so many years. That's okay. Uh, but uh, at some point, you've got to clarify what is the real message of Christianity. And f- even forget how you think God operates. That's not what matters most. Take him at his word that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Have you tasted that? Polk County is not a reached area for the gospel anymore. The problem isn't that that most people have heard the gospel and rejected it. I firmly believe this, especially where we're going. The problem isn't that most people have heard it and rejected it. It's that they think they've heard the gospel, but they haven't. And so they either think they've rejected the message of Christianity or that they are okay with God based on something other than grace, like their performance. But the reality is most have only heard incomplete teaching or they've had a bad experience, and so that's pushed them away from the church. And their minds are made up, they're done with it, they're done with Jesus, they're done with church, the whole deal. But most, many, have only heard a message of moralism and self-help and behavior modification and legalism, but not the shocking good news of God's grace, His unconditional fatherly love and mercy that changes you and brings you into a community of people who have experienced the same thing. But the reality is, despite what the excuses are, The Bible says everyone will be held without excuse because the real ultimate problem with our unbelief is our own hard hearts. And if the gospel is the only thing that can change hard hearts, that can give new hearts, that is why we need to plant churches here uh, that, that, that both preach the gospel of grace and display the reality of grace in their lives together. Which goes back to the beginning. That's why we have to give and to go, and to commit, compelled by the grace that we've been shown. That motivates our missional effort. This misconception, this deception in the world, and the gospel's the answer. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Uh, Grace creates these beautiful communities. Ray Ortland says, The family of God is where people should find lots of gospel, lots of safety, and lots of time. And the world is longing for communities like that of grace and truth. And so for us to live this way together, uh, for our relationships to be maintained, uh, the key to the Christian life, to churches that last, that are effective for the kingdom, is being aware of and continually taking in the grace of God in community with others. In community with others is crucial. So we see the pattern. Uh, We see that grace is the power, the gospel. And finally, we come to the practice. If, If this gospel is what transforms us uh, into to, to this type of life. Uh, practically, in addition to centering themselves around the gospel of grace, uh, what was it that kept the Philippian church from growing complacent and stagnant after all these years? Because that happens with established churches. As churches become more established, uh, statistics show that evangelism and missional living kind of generally go down as the years go by. So how is this church 
still so vibrant after all these years. And what is Paul saying to them to, to, to get them to live that way? Uh, I ran the Jingle Bell Classic 5K a few weeks ago downtown uh, with the Redeemer staff. It was, it was fun. Um, this 5K, this three-mile race, and um, I'm proud to say that I placed in my age group. Third place, all right? Only the top three place. I got a medal. It was a great moment. Took a selfie, sent it to my wife on the way home. You know, get, I, I put it on my son's necks like, like Olympians. You know, they're like, that is a stud, you know? Walking around, I, um, it was awesome. Um, then later, I got the news that apparently there were only three people in my age group, so I placed by default. No kidding. I placed by default. I wasn't told that at the race. That is not okay. I actually got last place in my age group, which earned me a bronze medal. I can't live on that accomplishment. I I honestly haven't seen that medal since then. When I found that out, I was done. I have not seen that medal. I can't live on that accomplishment. I realized it's absolutely nothing. And Paul says, uh, in chapter 3, he says, all that he has accomplished is absolutely nothing compared to what God has done for him. Nothing compared to what God has done for him. And so as he encourages this church, he says, don't get complacent or comfortable with your accomplishments. It's okay to rejoice, but, but move on quickly. And we know that apparently the Philippians have done great work by now. Paul thinks they're doing great, but he says to this church, who is about 10 years in, kind of close to where Redeemer's at, about 8 years in, he says, beware. It's a temptation on the backside of success to grow lax. But we're not there yet. We're reaching for something that's further ahead. Chapter 3, verse 13, he says, so we forget what lies behind and we strain forward to what lies ahead because we're pressing on to Jesus. He's our ultimate goal. Uh, I just finished uh, the book 1776 by David McCullough. Great book. Um, And among the reasons you could list, I picked up on this, among the reasons you could list as to why the British lost the Revolutionary War, uh, one was due to a somewhat uh, nonchalant, borderline complacency at critical times on the part of the British generals. The British generals and, and much of that army knew that they were very accomplished and decorated. But it led them to be casual at times. And they underestimated their ragtag enemy. The Continental Army, on the other hand, was extremely inexperienced and undersupplied. And I'm convinced that they were half drunk a lot of the war. Um, But they were always working. They were always strategizing. They were vigilant. They were awake, literally. I mean, they had huge victories at night while the British slept. They were always awake. And Paul says, you have a real enemy. Stay awake. Press on. It's, it's, it's as if Paul puts the work of salvation to one side, side and he says, he says, okay, that's a done deal in Christ. There's no more work to be done there. Rest. So in light of that, let's get to work. You know, the Israelites, they couldn't live on yesterday's manna in the wilderness. You remember that? It spoiled every night. It was no good in the morning. And Paul's kind of encouraging this church this way by beautifully weaving together these indicatives and imperatives. And what I mean by that is what's been done for us in Jesus and what that should lead us to be doing. So he weaves this together, this beautiful tapestry that makes up the book of Philippians, and he says, listen, God is working. He's going to complete that work. You've tasted grace. Don't doubt that. 
He's going to finish what he started. So rejoice. And then he says, so therefore, press on. Strive side by side. You hear these words? Strain forward to what lies ahead. Work out your salvation. Let's go. He says, grace produces action. You know, faith energizes love. And so as we enter a new year, and Redeemer has accomplished some great things in 2015. We're about to launch a church. Amen. We rocked out Elbert Elementary across the street. Uh, and, and other works, like supporting the Pregnancy Center and, and our missionaries. And we're starting a citywide mercy ministry. Who does that? That's awesome. Rejoice. Amen. Praise God. God is doing some awesome things in us and through us and around us. But what's next? That's Paul's attitude. And he encourages this healthy, thriving church this way. He's full of rejoicing at what God has done and what he's doing, what's happened. Uh, But that doesn't lead to any self-satisfied attitude moving forward. And so as we enter this new year, as I come uh, to a close, as we rejoice in what God has done, uh, what he has done in this last year, what he's doing, at the same time we forget what lies behind and we press on to what lies ahead. And I want to encourage us with two promises we see in this book to, to live boldly, individually and corporately as a church. And the first one is very simply, he will complete what he started. That's so comforting. Uh, but just personally, are you tired and you're discouraged or weary? Or you keep stumbling in, in sin? Take heart. Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That is comforting. The same God, right? The same God who on his initiative set us apart, chose us in eternity past, called us by grace, rescued us, gave us a new heart, guarantees that he'll see the work get done. He put his life on it, literally. He put his blood on it that he'll see it get done. He'll start what he finished. If your faith is in Christ, God has started a good work in you, even if you can barely see it. Even if you can't see it, you've put your faith in him. You believe his word, not yours. Take heart. God will finish his work. And Redeemer, God has started a good work in you. It's evident. It is absolutely beautiful. And he's bringing it to completion as we speak. And that promise, if God will complete what he started, that makes us bold to go after new opportunities this year. year, That he promised he will see his work finished. And the second promise is simply, if he promises he's going to complete what he started, he's going to supply everything we need as we go. At the end of the book, Paul tells this generous church, they've been generous, kind of to keep on giving and keep living boldly. And he says this in chapter 4, he says, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. What a promise that removes fear, that he will give us all we need as we walk towards him in faith. And so as we think about 2016, personally, and as a church, that we know challenges will come, new opportunities will come. I think those promises tell us that guided by wisdom, compelled by the grace that is ours in Christ, to be bold in faith, to live generously, sacrificially, to commit. And so what does that look like for you, just within, within the scope of the church? Uh, maybe you go with the next church plan, or it's not too late to go with Southwest. You can talk to me after church about that if you want to go. Uh, but you go with the next church plan, really. Consider that. Begin to think about that. You serve in a new area. You support a new ministry. Maybe you join a community group. You decide, you know what, we've all tasted the same grace. We all need the same thing. I'm going to put myself out there and start to live in community with other people. You know, to get invested and watch God work. Redeemer, I am, I'm thankful for you. 
the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Uh, and it's beautiful. Um, that's the mystery of the work of the Spirit in the church, that you get a bunch of messy sinners together uh, who have been humbled by grace, and Jesus is shown. Mysterious and beautiful. And so as Paul tells this Philippian church a couple times throughout this book, uh, that, that they've walked side by side together. That's my hope, that we get to walk side by side together for a long time, uh, striving uh, towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus that is ours as we move towards him. And finally, as we move far, far away to southwest Warner Haven, uh, about three miles maybe as the crow flies, if that, um, we go with Christ, and as Paul told the Philippians, we go with you in our hearts. Uh, so let's turn our hearts towards him and give him thanks for his great grace and the gospel that is ours as we come to the table. Will you pray with me? Father God, uh, we do thank you. Uh, we're humbled by your mercy and your love towards us. Um, what can we say, Father? We're speechless. Uh, we've brought nothing uh, to you, uh, and that's exactly what we need, God, God. And I pray that those here who may not know you may be perplexed by grace. Maybe it's not what they've always heard, Father. I pray that you would move in their hearts and those of us who have, are slowly forgetting and we've, we've beat ourselves up and we're slowly slipping back into some sort of um, works righteousness or performance-based religion that you would, uh, again, speak peace to our hearts by your grace that is ours, stir up our hearts and help us to forget that stuff that lies behind and move towards, uh, forward and to press on to what is ours ahead. God, I pray that you would be with this church. Bless us now. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Compelled by grace, as, as we go, as that song says we go, uh, remember to be comforted by the promises of the gospel, uh, that God will complete what he started. He is working. Uh, that he will supply everything we need as we go. Uh, let that stir up other promises as you don't know what's to come in 2016, that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Not a hair can fall from your head without him knowing it. He has you in his hand. He's holding on to you, and he will see his work completed. And this benediction is a reminder uh, that that's guaranteed because his spirit is with you if you put your faith in him. And so receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in God's peace.